Salutations and shit, motherfuckers. Welcome to another episode of Travel and Shit, your new favorite travel podcast. Um, more about the why of travel as opposed to the how of travel. I am your beautiful host. You may not be able to tell because this is audio, but uh, I'm cute, y'all. I'm feeling cute. I got a haircut. Um, beautiful host, D. Carrie. Thank you for fucking with the kid. Welcome to all the new listeners. Um, happy to have you here. And I'm also very happy to have you guys that have been listening since episode one. I think this is episode 35 or so. Good times. Um, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, weekend just passed. I hope everybody had a safe one. Really good time. Shout out to my neighbors. It was really getting loud last night. There was a, uh, a fight that woke me up. And um, I was just worried about my car. You know, I... It, it happened right where I parked. Uh, my girl is safe. And by my girl, I mean my car. So, um, yeah. Happy Memorial Day weekend. This week, I am going to talk about travel privilege. So, I came across an article on Facebook from the New York Times. Now, it's the Times. So there is a demographic of people that consume information from the Times. You can find people from all walks of life reading the Times. However, I think it's safe to assume that an article presented in the Times is going to be targeted to a certain demographic. And that demographic is generally not me and my cohorts. It's, for the most part, someone that makes more, um, that spends more, and has the luxury of not being uh, impacted as harshly by those decisions. And harshly in terms of, you know, just someone that makes what I make can definitely spend a lot of money. But it's going to come at a consequence in other areas. So if I spend five grand on a vacation, is it possible for me to do that? Yes. But if I spend five grand on a vacation... Ain't shit else getting paid in my life. You see what I'm saying? Whereas someone that has the actual means to spend five grand on a vacation can do it and not suffer in other areas. So say all that to say, the Times is marketed and the Times is generally consumed by someone with a bit more affluent, uh, a bit more affluence than I. That's fine with me. Not everything is for everybody. This podcast ain't for everybody. However, if you find some value in it, fuck with me. Um, so I started off with that by saying that there is a certain market that is consuming the times. So it's not as if their message may uh, necessarily be off the mark or off target. It's just I may not have been the target. And in saying that, I found a few things in the article to be a bit off-putting. And it kind of sparked the... Well, this wasn't the first thing that sparked the idea of privilege, but... This is definitely the most recent, um, I guess, piece of information that I've consumed that had the topic on my mind. So as I'm reading the article, and the article is called, so that if you see it, you'll know what I am talking about. It is to, um, to reduce travel stress, plan less. And it is definitely a, a recent article. Let me see if I can pull up when it was released. May 14th, 2019. So yeah, maybe 
a week ago, two weeks ago. What is today? The 27th. Happy birthday to my cousin, Brandy. I got to call her today. I texted her like a week ago because I was supposed to call her two weeks ago. But happy birthday, cuz. I love you so much. Um, the article is relatively new. And the gist of it is to plan the beginning, possibly the last day, and leave the middle to chance. So this uh, strategy, however, is to be applied to your vacations that last two weeks. And it was written by a gentleman who also commented that um, he had had, or a, a woman, I didn't pay too much attention to uh, figuring out if it was a man or woman, but the, art, the author of the article had mentioned further down in there that um, on a different trip where they had been backpacking for like five months or so, that um, certain opportunities were missed because they had to follow through with something that they had booked prior girl so time fucking time i don't know how many of you are very easily able to come across two weeks off in a row from your job or a random ass five months off from anything for me, that is definitely a privilege, and in both cases. We all know that there are many people that don't even get uh, paid time off from work. So being able to take time off that is paid from your job, whether it be three days, one day, two weeks, six weeks, is a blessing for a lot of us, and a lot of us aren't afforded that. So for those of us, and then also you have people that are just uh, entrepreneurs, just private contractors that if they don't work, they don't get paid. It's not even about, you know, what their job can give them. They may have the flexibility to take three weeks, but that's taking that three weeks off is also taking three weeks out of their, out of their pockets. Like whether or not you sell real estate um, or if you own a small business and, you know, you just don't have the luxury of taking two weeks, you'd be able to take a day or two. But uh, yeah, two weeks, five months, not something that many of us can do. So to begin with, I think I mentioned that we don't all have the whole two weeks in a row off. A lot of us also don't have the ability to just walk away from life for five months to travel the world. Now, I can think of different scenarios in which you have the flexibility to take off five months. One of them is definitely, do you have kids or not? Two is what is your family situation? If you are taking care of other family members, if you have a elderly family that you, you know, are, I don't want to say attached to, but are, you know, part of some aspect of primary care, not necessarily just the, you know, complete caregiver. Like if you're the one that takes your grandmother to the doctor's office or if you assist with like, you know, grocery shopping and picking up prescriptions and stuff, you may not have that lock, that luxury of just disappearing for five months comfortably, not knowing whether or not those needs would be met for your family member. Um, additionally, if you are not able to um, secure your home back at home, for that amount of time, like I can't envision paying my rent for five months and then just not being there. So time in and of itself spent abroad is definitely something that a lot of people don't necessarily consider a privilege, but it's definitely come to my mind as a privilege. So 
the gist of the article was you show up for a little bit and then don't plan the middle so that you can be more spontaneous. You don't have to have the stress of, hey, I've met this really cool group of people um, while I was in destination one and I would love to go on some wild adventure with them, but I can't because I have X, Y, and Z booked for the following days. And the author had described how they had met some people while they were in like Melbourne or something and they totally missed out on what could have been a really great time because they had whether it be accommodations or events planned in advance. And they would suggest that that level of stress to having been committed to things prior to arrival could be avoided by leaving some things to chance. Now, I think that that may be a really good strategy for someone that does have two weeks off. If you do end up having two weeks off, give it a try. Fuck it. Balls to the wall. Have a good time. But another issue that I had with the idea of just not having anything planned in between outside of just the privilege of the amount of time was also the privilege of the fuck it. The flaw in the finance aspect of it. Not everybody has the flexibility to say, I'll buy it when I get there. Um, Not everybody has the flexibility to say, you know, what if I figure out where I'm staying based on how I feel when I get there? So I tried that when I was in Europe um, for the second time. I went to, what did I go? Norway. I did Italy. And then I did England. So I had my Airbnb booked for Norway. I booked my Airbnb for Italy while I was in the airport in Norway. And then I didn't book any Airbnb prior to arriving in London. And let me tell you about the the hitch in that plan that happened when I landed I realized that I had overdrafted in the bank. I had cash on me. I also had, you know, another credit card. uh, Well, I think two other credit cards that I could use, but one of them was my Amex, which is not accepted in a lot of um, locations. It's the same way like in America, it's not accepted in a lot of places. It's also not accepted in a lot of places uh, abroad as well, which sucks because there are no international fees. Um, And the app that I was using to book was already attached to uh, like my bank, my debit card. So I would have had to either show up to the hostel, you know, and just try to pay cash or switch cards. And then it's that anxiety of, well, what's the trend? The uh, what do you call it? The um, the you know, like the. God damn it. What's the word I'm looking for? Not the translation fee, but, you know, the exchange rate. What's the exchange rate? If I have, say, $300 on this card, what is that exchanged into euros? Because 300 American dollars is for damn sure not 300 euros. So little things like that were, like, stressing me out during this amount of time that I had sat in the airport trying to figure out what I was going to do. So that notion of leaving some things to chance works in some aspects, because it definitely made for a fun time in um, 
in Austria when I just, you know, all right, well, let's choose this random hostel before I, you know, before I ended up landing there. But in this case, the limitations on my finances didn't make it an accessible uh, plan for me. I didn't want to spend. And then also you got to consider what is my transportation? So I may have been able to find someplace super cheap, but then how much is it going to cost me to get there? So the idea of not making these decisions in advance was, I don't want to say very detrimental, but my finances and my limitations on my finances definitely, you know, played a role in the decisions that I was able to make and the decisions that I felt comfortable making in terms of the fuck it balls to the wall, the whole uh, staying flexible in your travels. Um, Because we, I know for those people that have traveled to a bunch of different places, I'm certain that at this point, you've had the experience of, I hate this place. Like when you get there, like the accommodations are whack. They're not what you um, saw in the pictures when you booked or the reviews that you read all of a sudden when you get here, bitches was lying. I don't know what it is. Sometimes things just don't match up to what it is when you book them. So that flexibility of saying, I don't like it here. I want to leave is not always fiscally possible. So the idea of only booking accommodations for a certain part of the trip with the off chance that that, that may happen doesn't always um, come as a viable option for someone whose finances are a very major role of what it is they do and where it is they go while they're traveling. So even though you can find someplace really expensive, if you're only there for a week and it's going to cost you $100 in a taxi to get there, but 12 hours on a $20 bus ride, you're going to have to spend the hundred dollars on the taxi because you don't have 10 hours to ride a bus when you're there for a week like just cost effectiveness is just in terms of your time why would you want to spend an entire day commuting and then what airport are you flying back out of so now do you have to take that 10 hour bus ride back to the area where the airport is you know what I mean like little things like that so that was one of the pieces on uh, privilege that I picked up from that article that just didn't really uh, sit well with me. So, and then also just the idea, even if you don't run out of money while you're there, just that fear of not having the funds to take care of what it is needs to happen can be very limiting. You want to also make sure you eat, but if you are, you can generally find, you can find cheap food anywhere, whether or not you are surviving on uh Asian Funyuns while you're there or, you know, eating strictly pizza in Italy because it's the cheapest thing that you can find near where it is you're staying. There are a lot of different things to spend money on other than um, excursions and uh, trinkets and souvenirs while you're abroad that you have to consider when you um, are in a location. So transportation, food, accommodations are the three things that you really can't avoid spending money on um, once you get to a location. So you can find the cheapest flight that it is to get there and get back. But once you get there, you kind of got to consider those things in advance before you even get there. So the idea of just showing up in a lot of cases, if you're in a location that doesn't have regular um, 
train access or if their train stopped by 6 p.m. in the afternoon, you know, you've got to consider whether or not you have the money to do um, things before you get there. That whole figure it out when you get there is, is not really feasible for a lot of people when funds are a limitation. Another thing on that where I had mentioned with the um, the whole being a backpacker with five months and then meeting people and randomly deciding to join them on their excursion is race, gender, and possibly privilege of sexual orientation or sexual identity. So I know as a black woman, I generally enter spaces and I guess narrate the story on what's happening based on or how I'm received based on my ethnicity and my gender. So as an American, my parents definitely, well, my community raised me with the idea of you're not welcome in every space, right? So when you go someplace or you go to somebody's house, you sit down, you don't touch anything, and you speak when spoken to. You know what I mean? Like the whole you're to be seen and not hurt. Because when you have your kids go into, or like when you go into the store, don't ask nothing, don't touch nothing. You know what I mean? The whole idea of playing small and being reserved and not making, uh, not causing trouble, not causing a scene and not, you know, being overtly noticed for the most part, right? So a lot of that is because you want to keep your kids safe. A lot of that is also because you want to keep your pockets safe. You don't want your kids going to break shit. And a lot of it makes sense. However, not everyone, as you get older, you can see is necessarily raised with those restrictions, right? So for me, I tend to be a very, um, I guess you could say I'm a wallflower when I go places. I like to just observe shit. I go into place, I'm seen, not heard. I don't really, you know, walk in with a loud presence. I don't know what my presence is received by other people because that's not something you can necessarily control. Sometimes your energy speaks before you do, you know? But um, in terms of like, joining strangers on random activities for me that's not exactly something that I would do because of the cultural norms for me now joining strangers in the capacity of a singular event yes that is something that I have done that's how I met Kevin that's how I met um the dentist in Barcelona um Kevin was in Cuba that was a great episode um that was Gay, drag, and non-binary, I want to say. Um, definitely have a listen to that. I want to say it's within the first seven episodes. Um, but outside of it being like a, a meetup or like a bus trip or an, a, an excursion, I don't know that I would ever feel comfortable randomly deciding to now go stay with a group of people that I don't know um, for like an extended period of time. What the author implied was, like I mentioned before, hey, I would have loved to go to um, Sydney 
from Melbourne with this really great group of travelers that I met while I was in Melbourne. But I couldn't because I had, you know, accommodations already booked for my time in Melbourne. Now, in theory, it sounds great. It sounds fun and it sounds adventurous. And it's just like, you know what? Maybe one day I might say fuck it and do some shit like that. In my perfect world, I will be a professional traveler one day and I will have the luxury of just not necessarily needing to know what comes next, right? But right now, my time is a limitation, my finances are a limitation, and the social construct that I put on myself and the the social like the way I envision how I'm received, I know is not necessarily a thing that other people do, but it's something that I do. One of the things that I'm aware of when I travel is trying to be aware of what like the cultural norms is, right? So I remember, I think it was in Austria. I had read someplace that Austrians are just not really warm people. They're not really that friendly and welcoming, right? So in my mind, someone may not be like in the store, right? They may not be smiling back at me or they may not greet me because culturally that's just not something that they do in Austria or I was in Vienna. So that just may not be something that they do there. But for me as an American, I'm thinking, well, they're not greeting me because I'm a woman or they're not greeting me because I'm black. A lot of times when we go other places, the limitations we placed on we place on ourselves based on how we live our normal lives don't necessarily need to be the limitations we place on ourselves when we travel. Because when you travel, you're going someplace that's not home. You're going someplace that doesn't necessarily live by the cultural norms that you live your life in. Now, that's not to say that you're nuts and that somebody isn't judging you because you're a woman or isn't judging you because you're black or isn't judging you even because you're an American. A lot of those things are still reasons why people judge you when you're abroad. However, that's not something that as a solo female woman of color traveler, I have the privilege of not being aware of. So as a, you know, a white male of a certain age, and by certain age, I mean, you know, maybe late 20s, early 30s. You know what I mean? You're in great tip-top shape. You're not necessarily an older person that may be uh, restricted by different uh, movement limitations. Um, You're, you know, the world is your oyster kind of thing. Someone that fits that mold of travel may not feel the same restrictions as even a female solo white traveler. Um, A female traveler may feel the different limitations of being a female in different countries that don't necessarily extend the same rights and privileges to their female citizens, right? So that's something that myself as a woman of color would um, share as, you know, limiting or as a um, privilege of access that we are both lacking. But then in certain countries where people of color are treated differently, because we all know colorism is a thing wherever you go, right? Asians have their issues with colorism. Uh, Indians have their issues with colorism. Um, same with uh, Latin cultures and blacks across the diaspora. And it's a thing everywhere. So when you go someplace, there's always going to, for me as an American woman, I, and then again, let me preface this by saying I can't speak for every 
women of color. I'm certain there are women of color who grew up in areas like, for example, um, Jordan Woods, when that whole debacle happened with her and the Kardashians there, she was quoted as saying something like this experience taught me what it's really like to be a woman of color or what it feels like to be a black woman, some shit like that. Right. Because her privilege as a woman that grew up with money, with access, like, I mean, Jaden Smith was one of her best friends. You know what I mean? It's just like Kylie Jenner was her best friend. So it's not that she hasn't always been black, but her status, her family's money and whatever other areas of access that she had, I guess you can say buffered her from necessarily experiencing, trying to word this right, buffered her from experiencing the different ails of being a black woman that those of us that don't have the access and the status that she does may experience. So it's kind of a a similar thing in travel. Um, I know that that's definitely something that is on my mind when I travel. And I know that from the different guests that I've spoken to, that I'm not the only person that thinks that way. A lot of us do experience our blackness in different ways when we go different places. And those experiences aren't always positive experiences. Um, So that could be just the American thing. Like, I don't know what, um, you know, in African traveling and other places is. And then also as an American, my blackness is likely viewed differently than the blackness of someone from another country like Africans. I don't know how they're viewed by um, someone in Israel or um, someone that is black from Europe, from say Wales. I don't even know if Wales has a heavy black population and not just the first place that came to mind. But what my point is, is that depending on where you're from, your blackness may be viewed differently also. So the privilege of not having to think about all of that shit is definitely something that I picked up from that article as well. Um, And then there's the whole privilege of, would you be saved if something should fucking happen to you? Will your government give a fuck? Will there be news coverage should you go missing? Does your family have the access to come get you if something goes wrong? Do your parents have passports? Do your parents have the flexibility of just up and leaving work to come get you? Or do they have two other kids, three other kids or, you know, other responsibilities that just can't. You know how what is that? Um, Old music Catholic school. My dad would be so disappointed. What is Jesus left the flock to tend to one sheep kind of thing? Or was it. um, What do you call it? Uh, Just the shepherd and not necessarily Jesus. So some of you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like sometimes you can't just leave the entire flock to go help the one stray uh, sheep or apostle, whatever the gist of the, the quote was. But you get what I'm saying? Sometimes people love and care about you, but they don't pay attention to the one. Um, so the thought of or the privilege of thinking that you can be saved should something go wrong shouldn't necessarily be ignored as well. That's another thing that access and uh, socioeconomic status and then also um, race privilege definitely plays a role in. As a black woman, 
I honestly don't think that my uh, government would send any fucking help. Now, granted, I think that my family would definitely make noise about it. Not to say that, you know, everyone has that same familial connection. You may not be close with your family. You may not have a lot of family or any family. So you take the risk of traveling someplace knowing that no one's going to come get you should something go wrong. Um, I had a friend that, not very similarly, but it just comes to mind, like his entire family was, I want to say in Sierra Leone. I'm not certain where exactly he was from, but um, his family was all abroad. He was the only one here in the States. So for him, he didn't have the luxury of just not figuring shit out. He didn't have the luxury of, you know what, I'm going to uh, chase my dreams and say, you know, fuck it, just go with the flow. And no, he didn't have, he had to show up to work. He had to make sure he got all his hours in because that rent needed to be paid. Those utilities needed to be paid. His car note needed to be paid because if something went wrong, he didn't have the luxury of just going back and staying with his aunt. He didn't have the luxury of moving back home or, you know, having a couch to stay on and someone that would easily welcome their arms and open their home to you because they're family. Um, so similarly in travel, if you don't necessarily have anyone that has the, as even though they may have the desire to come get you, if your family doesn't have the funds to drop everything and just hop on a plane and come to, um, Austria to look for you or to, you know, come bail you out or to come sit with you in the hospital should something happen to you. It, it, those are things that would possibly prevent you from being as adventurous or exploring as far and as wide as you may want to because shit has consequences. And those consequences may not always come with a package that you're willing to accept should those consequences become a reality. Um, also like a feeling of not belonging can also extend to not thinking people will help you. I know personally I've let my feelings or I guess my perception of myself dictate how I move in certain areas. So not being sure how I'm going to be received has definitely had um, an influence on how I navigate in certain spaces. So I tend to be a very um, quiet person for the, for the most part. Like I'm not an extrovert. I am for them. I'd say I'm definitely an introvert. I mind my business. I'm pretty low key wherever. I go. I don't have a problem having conversation. I don't have a problem, you know, sparking a conversation with someone, but it's just not exactly my go-to. I'm not the person that's going to walk into a, you know, um, a bar or a restaurant and um, say, hey, what's up to the person next to me? But I'll definitely respond to the person if they speak to me. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily... Um, to say that I won't spark a conversation with someone, but it's it's not exactly always what I do. And a lot of that is because I don't necessarily think that strangers are always going to uh, receive me warmly. So again, that's in my head. That's not necessarily the case in every uh, environment, but 
because of how I live in my everyday life, it does affect to a certain degree how I live on my vacation life. So those cultural norms of how you were raised and how you conduct yourself home definitely extend to how you um, interact abroad. And I really just think that the privileges that people have at home, whether it be economic privileges, whether it be privileges of race, privileges of gender, even sexual identity, um, trans people are not welcome here in the States. They are welcomed in certain communities, and there are many of us that are allies, such as myself, very much so a trans ally, um, just across the LGBTQ, is that a LGBTQ? Uh, I never get the acronym right, but fucking ally, here for everybody, right? But if a trans person isn't feeling welcome here at home where they work, pay taxes, and love on the people in their family and their community, how do you think that they're going to feel when they're traveling abroad? Many of them definitely feel that, you know, if I can't get love here, how am I going to get love someplace else? Or someone that presents as a woman, uh, like Kevin, when he would travel, for him, he would definitely have to put those considerations in his mind when he goes abroad. Am I going to be able to be my full authentic self when I'm outside of my community? Uh, so that is a privilege in and of itself that has nothing to do with whether or not you're black or white. If you are a homosexual man or a homosexual woman, am I able to hold my partner's hand freely when we're abroad? Is that something we can do? Or are we going to risk persecution? Are we going to risk jail? Are we going to risk our safety? What types of things are at risk in just being authentic and, you know, yourself outside of excursion and fun and adventure and excitement? So the I, I don't necessarily want to say just like the heteronormative cis white man article that I read was necessarily an attack on everybody else, but it just felt like, well, shit, most of the stuff that I come across in the travels in the travel world has that general tone where the nuances of existence aren't necessarily targeted. They're not highlighted. And truly that's one of the things that keeps me showing up every week to do the podcast. I didn't feel represented in what I was finding in the travel world. And thankfully, I'm coming across a lot more resources in travel now that I'm doing the podcast. So please feel free to send me whatever apps, whatever links, whatever uh, information you come across in terms of the wider realm of travel, because personally, I'm tired of the same, you know, voices being heard the loudest when it comes to travel. Um, yeah, so holler at me. There's the email. Well, definitely you can get everything accessible from my Instagram. It's underscore D-C-A-R-R-I-E. And you can send me an email from there. Send me whatever uh, links to different apps. I came across a different, uh, a couple of apps 
while going down the rabbit hole of those New York Times articles. So even though I don't necessarily feel represented by a lot of the articles when I start them, I do make sure to look at attached links and, you know, the sub the subtext and different click alongs that are mentioned and I find some gems. So I'll be sure to report back on some of the uh, new apps that I discovered. I think one of them is called, yeah, it's Travelo. And then there was another one that I didn't install yet, but yeah, I'm anxious to come back with more information for you guys. And in a sense that is relatable to us, to solo women of color travelers to group travelers of color to male travelers of color i am very open and willing to making things palatable to us so holla at me on the instagram um thanks for fucking with the kid i don't have any announcements um stuff is gonna get real fun just know that there's really a lot more stuff in the works so um Thanks, guys. I will look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.